Let's be in an attitude of prayer to hear what God's going to say to our hearts and to be ready to say yes so we'll leave differently than the way we came in. Thank you. Well, we've already done it, but I think the Lord deserves a clap offering by what our worship team has led us to do today. God has been good to us. Very good. I want to invite your attention to Matthew 6, 7, 6, 9, excuse me, Matthew 6, 9. I've discovered in the few weeks that uh, Michelle, the children, and I have been here that Athens has some reputable names. Uh, some of these involve auto mechanics. In fact, I discovered one the other day. I uh, drove uh, from the home coming to the church and had a flat tire by the time I got to the Atlanta Highway. And uh, it happened to be the day that uh, it, the, the wind chill was 11 below. And so they helped me greatly uh, then. Uh, uh, Athens also has uh, some restaurants with uh, significant names, everything from Rafferty's on one hand to the Varsity on the other. Um, people have interesting names as well. Uh, there are some that are infamous. Uh, we, we could mention the names of Hitler. We could mention the name of Stalin. Uh, there, there are some celebrities with interesting names as well. Uh, there, of course, is Matthew McConaughey the Longview, Texas actor, and then uh, there are music groups and uh, uh, individual singers, Lady Gaga, whatever that means, and then there happens to be a group called the Goo Goo Dolls. Uh, Jonathan told us the other day that if the two of them were to travel to, together, they could go by the name Goo Goo Gaga. <laughs> but names are more than just an assembly of letters. Uh, attached to someone, oftentimes names develop reputations. We've mentioned some of those. The restaurants have a reputation for their food, and the infamous persons have a reputation for death that I mentioned this morning. Names mean reputation in many ways. In fact, the Jews were so humbled by the name of God, they did some interesting things when their rabbis were copying the Old Testament and would come across one of the names of God. Uh, there are, of course, in the Old Testament, a number of names of God. There is El Shaddai, Almighty God. There is Adonai, Lord, in your English Bible. That is um, Lord spelled normally with the capital L and the lowercase O-R-D. But once in a while, you'll come across, actually a couple thousand times, you'll come across L-O-R-D where all the letters are in caps. The capital L may be in a 10 font and the O-R-D may be in caps of the 8 font. Well, that is the personal name of God that is Yahweh, Yahweh, and uh, with the other names, they, I'm told at least that they would drop their pen and pick up a new pen and write out the name of God, El Shaddai or Adonai, but with the name Yahweh, I'm told that the copyists would stop what they were doing and go bathe and change their clothing and then return to their copy work and write out the name Yahweh. Michelle used to do that when she mentioned my name, but it's been about 20 years since she's used my name. <laughs> but that's the reverence that they had for the name of God because it carried with it so much significance and weight with them that they simply could not glibly pass over copying the name of God and using the name of God to where it did not strike their heart and move them. In fact, the name of God is so precious to the Trinity that the Lord commanded through Moses, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In other words, you do not connect the name of God 
to something that is an empty cause or does not represent him. A profanity is one example, but the prohibition is much larger than mere profanity, as we'll discover today. I think Jesus has much of this in mind when he teaches his disciples to pray according to the model prayer. I think it's okay to recite the words as they are. I don't have any problem with repeating the words as exactly printed in the scripture, but I really think what Jesus is offering here are topics about which we can pray. And in Matthew 6, 9, he says here, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He wants us to pray in this way. Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray in such a way that God's name remains pure, asking God to work in the world in such a way that the name of the Father is pure throughout the earth. Now the request is, hallowed be your name. Hallowed is holy, without pollution, without stain, without impurity. Hallowed be your name. May people obey the third commandment. May they not take the name of the Lord God in vain. May they never attach the name of God to something that is untrue, unfit, or unworthy of His name. Sometimes that happens. It may happen this week when someone's name that has a good reputation surfaces and something ugly will be attached to it and we're horrified and brokenhearted over that. A scandal will burst forth into the national consciousness or locally. People can change in many ways their name, at least the reputation of it. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. In other words, there is a tendency to connect the name of God and to use it for our own purposes or others to take the name of God and so distort it that when it's done, God no longer has the reputation among the people that he deserves and of which he's worthy. So Jesus is praying and teaching us to pray here. Pray in such a way that God's name is held holy and pure without pollution or without stain. That's the request, but there's a reason. And that is, he is the Father who is in heaven. Now in the ancient world, this was quite stunning. There were very few, if any, teaching that God is Father. Once in a while, the Jews thought of God as the Father of Israel, but... He was remote and distant. But 70 times in the Gospels, Jesus calls the Heavenly Father, Father. Either His Father or the disciples' Father. And here He says, I want you to pray, Our Father in Heaven. Now, there has been some development and distortion about the last 40 years with the notion of Father in the Bible. And it's not entirely untrue, but it's exaggerated to the extent that what Heavenly Father actually means really has been lost among us. And that is the notion that for Him to be our Father is for Him to be intimate with us. And He is. I don't want to deny that, but the, the meaning of God being our Father is not so much intimacy as it is responsibility. And I've got to tell you, this is good news. Because he who sits upon the throne, the God of creation and Israel, the Father of Jesus Christ, and the Father who will wrap up all things with complete, unmitigated purity in the coming kingdom, is a Father who is willing to take responsibility for you. 
He's willing to take responsibility for your needs. He's willing to take responsibility for your salvation. He's willing to take responsibility for your eternity. He's willing to take responsibility for your light and your guidance on this earth. He is eager and willing to take responsibility for you. And He never fails. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. The whole point of the prayer is, is that our hearts are so wrapped up with the purity of God's name, we will not rest in prayer until it is purified throughout the earth. Now we know it's pure, but humans have a way of attaching polluted stains to the name of God. And so we love him and we're so grateful to him that we plead with him to remove every stain in the world that humans have attached to his name. We want his name to be considered holy by the whole earth. It already is in heaven. And so this is not so much a prayer that affects heaven. It's already pure there. It's celebrated there. Jesus just wants his name to be celebrated here as it is there. He wants people to consider his name, the name of the Father, as pure throughout the earth as it is there. Now, that's profoundly important to us. One of the fundamental disciplines that we must master to move forward as a church family is prayer. And so the last Sunday in February, I'm calling for a prayer commitment day. And I'm asking us all to make commitments to prayer. And I want to list on the screen just four of them. I want to ask you to pray and make a list of 15 people that worry you spiritually and plead daily for God to save them, to come through. And then I want us to pray daily for pastor, staff, and their families. The higher you go in leadership in the church of God, the bigger the bullseye the devil places on your back. And we cannot do this without the energetic, fervent, hell-robbing prayers of the saints. And then I want to ask you to commit yourself to a prayer meeting. And I've got some ideas about that I'm not ready to launch quite yet, but I want to ask you to pray in a prayer meeting. And then I'd like to have two volunteers every worship service praying during the worship service. And we'll ask you to commit and to uh, commit yourself to that. Prayer Commitment Day, the last Sunday, February 23rd of, uh, of February. So Jesus wants us to pray and have such a love for the Father and His reputation in our prayers that we pray that His name will cover the earth without any stain. And so that's why I want to speak on the subject this morning, His name without stain. Well, so when we pray for His name to be without stain, when we pray and ask Him to hallow His name throughout the earth, what are we actually praying? Well, there are several things I want to mention to you this morning. One is, when we ask the Father to hallow His name, we ask Him to detach His name from all theological stains. All theological stain. I think that it's growing increasingly common in the United States to consider God as the father of everyone and he's so justice and so good and kind and he lacks justice enough to where everyone gets into heaven no matter who and what they are. I heard that last week from someone who's grew up in church their entire life, a member of another congregation. Muslims have some difficulty with the Christian view of God. They believe we believe in three gods. And they believe that the notion that Jesus is the Son of God implies the physical relationship between God and Mary. We've tried to correct that, but they're just not buying it. 
And so in that way, the Father's name is stained. And then, quite frankly, there, there are many other stains as well that we could mention. In fact, they are pervasive throughout the world. That God saves people, for example, on the basis of their virtue and good works as if we had any. And that His standard of justice and purity is so low that we pass and, and we're good. Now, of course, you know what that means. That means that humans have got to exaggerate their virtue and exaggerate their good works and demote the justice and purity of God. And that's precisely what has happened. It's very subtle, and it's a very popular notion. And so that if we are not constantly putting forth the grace of God before people, they will constantly drift towards this works and virtue-based salvation. When we ask God to hallow His name, we're asking Him to detach His name from all theological error. Now, I want to make something clear. We are a Baptist church. We are the religious liberty people. That is something that arose because of our work with James Madison in Virginia back in the late 18th century during the Constitutional Convention or the run-up to it. We believe in that. We do not believe that government is qualified to rule in matters of faith and theology. We trust the people and the churches and the pastors and the laypersons far more than we trust the government on those issues. And we do not want them ruling anyone in those matters. And so we're very willing to live in a civil society with those with whom we disagree. On the private level, we want to be able to energetically communicate the truth of the Word of God and invite people to come to Christ. And we want everyone else to have that same freedom. We'll deal with that on the private level. Government must stay out of it all. There must be radical religious liberty, and I choose that word carefully. The government must not intervene in that. But do not take that insistence upon religious liberty as if we must agree and applaud every idea that is communicated about God. We believe in the old-fashioned approach to tolerance, not the new distortion of it. The old-fashioned approach is we believe there's a right and wrong and a true and a false, and in a civil society we're willing to live with that on the theological level, but that does not mean the newfangled idea about tolerance, and that happens to be that if I'm tolerant, I have got to approve of everything you think. I'm not going to do it because he does not. I cannot attach his name to something that causes him uh, sickness in his soul and uh, upset on the throne. I can't do that. It would be a terrible disservice to you. I tell you God approves of something and you stand before him on judgment day and you are in for a surprise because I have misled you. I don't know. Let me ask you this. Has it ever occurred to you that we go about this life and live in such a way as Americans as if there isn't going to be a judgment day? I didn't grow up in a home that honored the Bible or Christ or church. And as a boy, I knew about that. And one of the things I hope I'm able to do in my ministry is to keep my eyes on that final day, which is emphatic in the Word of God and was emphatic in the message and ministry of Christ. Jesus Christ's words are terrifying at many points. And I don't know, if you know more about these things than Jesus does, then go make up your own religion. But the truth is, is that Christ communicated these things. And it'd be a terrible disservice for me to agree where the Scripture disagrees. I, I can't do that. I just can't. And so don't think that 
Our idea of tolerance and religious liberty means we agree with everything. We will work hard to keep the government off your back. And we'll deal with these issues in private. Now, what you have to understand, though, is about theology and doctrine. We are judged in that day by what we believe about God and His Christ. That is how we're judged. And that is why at the end of the service, we're going to give you the opportunity to repent and place faith in Jesus Christ and His gospel at the end of the message. So when we pray, Father, hallow your name, we're asking him to detach it from all theological error. But there's a second thing from which we're asking him to detach it, and that is devotional error or devotional stains. Theological stains and devotional stains. Unanswered prayer should be the exception, not the rule. And what Jesus is doing here in the model prayer is that he's putting before us a way to get prayer answered. You know, one of the ways to get prayer answered is to pray prayers God wants to answer. He says in 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And then John 15, 7, Jesus would say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. The quickest shortcut to answered prayer is to pray what God already approves of and we know that by what he's placed in his word. And so what the Father's attempting to do here with, this, uh, uh, with these instructions on prayer is to improve our prayers to where he wants to hear them. God is the kind of God that is eager and generous to answer prayer. And so he's trying to detach his name from any devotional stain. But then, when we ask the Father to hallow his name, we're asking him to detach his name from what I'm calling geographical stains. And that is geography in relationship to God. There are some whose approach to God and worship and their relationship with him is, is distant. And that tends to develop a God who is rather rigid. And not just standard-oriented, but intensely rule-oriented. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees would get upset if someone moved a chair on the Sabbath because a leg might move through the dirt and that would constitute plowing. Intensely rule-oriented because he's distant. I know of uh, one young church planner in an American city who was looking at churches in his city to see what worked and what did not work, and he walked into a church pastored by a lesbian pastor with his baseball cap on. And when he got to the door, the usher asked him to remove his hat. They should have removed the pastor. So often what happens with the intense rigidity of a distant view of God is that kind of silliness. But then, sometimes some people have a view of God to where He's actually too close and they become too familiar with Him and they're not impressed with holy things. I attended one children's camp for a night and I heard the worship leader leading kids in a song during worship now that had the line, God loves the space aliens. I expect this summer they will sing God Loves Zombie Apocalypse. 
and blows duck calls or something like that. I'm, I'm not against having fun in church. I, I, I'm not. I'm not against laughter and worship. I don't think the Lord is, but that's too familiar. The scripture says, the Lord is exalted. Tremble before him all the earth. He is great. At times he's terrifying. But he's also a father on a throne. This, this request here has got a marvelous balance to it. Our Father, which is in heaven, heaven, kingdom, throne, royalty, rule, sovereignty, lordship. And so what we have is a king who wants to be everyone's father in Jesus Christ. And so we have this marvelous balance here. And so is God distant? Yes, you bet he is. He's distant, especially in his character. There is no one like him. And then he is very close. Well, I don't understand how that can happen. I can't do that. Well, I want, I want to give you some good news. God is not like us. He is distant and he is near. This balance is also seen in the scripture in how it announces our friendship with God. The Bible says that we can be a friend to Him, but did you, have you ever noticed it is, I've not read anywhere where the scripture says that He is our friend. We can be His friend, but it never says He is ours. But does he stick closer than a brother? Oh, indeed he does. But he is the king who condescends and gets close to his people so much so that we can think of him in those terms. He never removes himself from the position of being king and master and lord, but he does come close. Beloved, the Bible may not say he's our friend. It does say we can be his, but he's even closer than that. This help us, helps us to detach God's name from geographical states. But then, when we ask the Father to hallow His name, we ask Him to detach His name from social stains. It says here, our Father in heaven, not my Father. Oh, it's okay if you address God as my Father. But you will want to make it a, a practice, especially when praying in a group, which I think this prayer implies. I think this prayer implies a prayer group. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give me this day my daily, no, give us this day our daily bread and on. But Jesus has in view God's people getting together in prayer and seeking with intensity Almighty God. And so our eyes are taken off ourselves and in prayer placed on others. Now, folks, this is unique. This is unique to the Christian faith. The other faiths do not encourage intercessory prayer. But the Christian faith does. In fact, it elevates intercessory prayer in the Scripture. Samuel said to Israel in 1 Samuel 12, 23, Far be it for me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. We do a terrible thing when we do not pray for other people. 
And so Jesus has in view all of God's children, and he has them grouped together in prayer groups, and we are to pray for one another. And so, do you understand the staggering implications of this? This text, this one prayer here, condemns all racism. It condemns all bigotry. It condemns all classism. It condemns all cliques, is what it does. And that's good news for this particular weekend. It condemns social sins. And so, we are to detach God's name from social stains. But then when we ask the Father to hallow His name, we ask Him to detach His name from practical stains. I've watched over the years a growing difficulty. And that is, I have found increasingly churches finding it difficult, especially with those under 50, to celebrate Mother's and Father's Day. There are a couple of reasons why. One, there are many parents who have lost their children. And it's a struggle for them to be reminded of that on a Sunday. But there are a growing number of children who were parented and raised by unworthy parents. In fact, I've seen in churches attendance decline on those days, depending on where you're located. That's not always the case. That may not be the case here. But I think you can sympathize with that, can't you? A great struggle with that. I mean, does God endorse the abandonment and the abuse and the chaos? There's some who struggle with that. It may not be fair, and it's not. But people will judge God by His followers. Now, they should allow, they should allow the Father to stand on His own merits. They should allow the Father to be evaluated by them precisely how they want themselves evaluated on the basis of their behavior. But that's not what they do. They should evaluate God on the basis of creation and what He did with Israel and the cross, the resurrection, and one day the coming kingdom and the events we read of in Revelation. They should evaluate Him on that basis, but that is not what they do. For a variety of reasons, they think of God in very human terms. They judge Him on the basis of our words, our behavior, and our lack. And so Paul would indicate this in Romans 2.24. He said, the Gentiles blaspheme the name of God because of you. Whenever we ask God to hallow His name, we are asking Him to detach His name from any kind of distortion we have placed on it because it is real. Now, again, that's not fair, but folks, we don't live in the world we wish we had. We live in the world that is. And we've got to live with it. We, we're the only Bible some people will ever read. We're the only Jesus some of them will ever see. So they've got to see in us the one in whom is all they'll ever need. 
And so when we ask God to hallow his name, we are asking him to detach his name from social sins. But then, when we ask the Father to hallow his name, we, we are asking him to detach his name from emotional stains. The, about the first time in the Scripture where the Father indicates that he is a father is when Moses confronts Pharaoh. And he looks at Pharaoh, who has a firstborn and has children. And he does something rather startling. Now again, Israel at the time is enslaved. They're in a building project for Pharaoh. They are abused and they are mistreated. They are the lowest of low in the kingdom of Egypt. And through Moses, the father informs one of the most powerful men in all the earth Israel is my son, my firstborn. And I want him back. You are mistreating my son, Israel, and I want him. And that was all of Israel. In other words, Pharaoh had a favored firstborn. The ancient cultures favored the firstborn, and Pharaoh had one. And he informs Pharaoh, I too have a firstborn, and it's Israel. You're mistreating him, and I'm about to act on his behalf. I want him back. That begins the doctrine of sonship throughout the Scripture. He has predestined believers to the, uh, to the adoption as sons. A royal reference. And so, whenever we repent and place faith in Jesus Christ, the Father elevates our status to royal status and to that of the firstborn. I don't know what kind of emotions comfort you or what kind of emotions torture you when you think of a father. But this father is willing to take responsibility for your status before Him, and to elevate you and to lift you up into a cherished position. In fact, throughout the Scripture, whenever you come to Jesus Christ, the Scripture teaches that the Father begins to use the same terms for you, the same terms of treasuring and endearment and cherishing for you that He uses for Jesus Christ. Oh, you don't become the Son of God. Don't misunderstand me. You're not... You don't become part of the Trinity. I know some people may misunderstand that. There are no vacancies in the Trinity, by the way. But he does elevate you as a sinner, someone redeemed and cleansed by the blood of Christ to that marvelous level. You become a child of a king. Now that's profoundly important because God is king. And he has a court system. And we have, by our sins, become traitors. We've betrayed him, and he's leveled the sentence of death against us. But he has arranged things such to where his son, Jesus Christ, suffered our death penalty at the cross. And he was so pleased with that, he raised him from the dead. So the debt has been paid, and the one who paid it is alive, exalted with a name above every name. And he has invited you to make use of that authorization of that name to approach him in humility and repentance and faith. And he has invited you to come with 10,000 mercies and even more joys. He says, come. 
Come with your sins. Come with your brokenness. Come with, come with your rebellion. And if you'll come on my terms, I will take you, transform you, cleanse you, and make you a joint heir with my son. Bless his name for that gift of grace. Now this is important because our stains are many. His name is hallowed. His name is pure, but ours is not. Before his throne, it's filthy. That comes as a shock to many people. Did you know that? When you've been fawned over and petted your entire life by others, it can be a shock. Proverbs 30, 12 says, There's a generation that is clean in its own sight, yet not washed from its filthiness. There's nothing worse in the world than to have body odor and not know it. Outside of Christ, we have it, and we are stinking up the throne room and have since the beginning of our existence. God, however, in His grace and mercy, has transferred the penalty of that to His Son, raised Him from the dead, and made a simple way to be saved from the penalty of sin. If you will repent and trust Christ and His resurrection and his crucifixion alone, God will give you admittance to him. You'll have access to him forever. He will instantaneously and permanently and eternally cancel heaven's debt against you, is what the Bible says. In fact, his name is so closely associated with this that the Father named him Jesus, which means God saves, because he will save his people from their sins. And then he says... Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you'll count on the reputation of the Father, He'll save you. Call on Him. And you're surrounded by people today that have done that. I've been watching them a long time. God's people from coast to coast and border to border. And the only regret I've ever found by any one of God's people about receiving Christ as Savior and Lord is that they didn't do it earlier. That's it. We want you to come to Jesus today and run to the name of the Lord, which is a strong tower. The righteous go in and find shelter, and the Father offers you that today. Would you turn to Him now and say yes? Repudiate your sin, repudiate what keeps you from Him, and cast your poor soul at the Savior's feet. Come in today and be made complete. Glory to his name. Father, bless you. Thank you that you save us. Thank you that there is enough grace and mercy and love in this very room for all the world. Thank you that every broken heart, every humble soul can find salvation in Jesus Christ now. And I want to pray, O oh God, that you would press that upon the humble. Break the heart of the proud and the arrogant. Turn all those that are lost to Jesus today. Would you move on them? And let them fly and flee and rush and run to Jesus now. And so honor your name. Be known today, O oh God, as salvation. 
And Father, for others that need to become part of Beach Haven, help them come. For those who need to finally surrender to ministry or missionary service, help them come. For those that need a new start, let them come. Be known as a God of great joy who receives the humble and the repentant. Now let me quickly explain what we're going to do this morning. No one's looking around. You're thinking about the Lord and His name. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing a song. And when we do, I want to ask you to step out from your pew. Folks will remove themselves from your way. And we'll have staff here in the front ready to help you with your spiritual decision. You're surrounded by people that have done this. There's no magic to it. You're just getting the help you need right now to follow the Lord. We want to offer you, our church family, to help you with it. So I'm going to finish my prayer. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to ask you to come. Father, would you do a neat work today? Get all that you want for your name and your son's name in these moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.